Stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hi, and welcome back to Raising Joy. My name is Dr. Kristen Perch, and I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Cook Children's Hospital, and I'm joined with my amazing co-host, Miss Winnie King. Yeah, you know, when you always talk about who you are, it always sounds so relevant, and then I get to talk about who I am, uh, and it doesn't sound quite as relevant. I think that means we should change it. Yeah, I need another title. So my title um, is Senior Vice President chief of communications. See, this is why it's important though, right? Inclusion, diversity, and equity. So I'm wearing a bunch of hats here. Yes. But none of which seem to be really relevant. <laughs> but <laughs> but I ask good questions. Exactly. I was going to say, you I should ask put questions. facilitator of excellent conversations. Yes. Okay. And it is a skill. Somebody write that down. <laughs> we <laughs> need gonna, to have another title here. We'll yeah. e- email the powers that be yeah, um, and yeah. say we got to update it. Right, you know? right. And then they got to go and, and go to the market and see how much more money they're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, so last week we were able to talk to my pal, uh, Dr. Kimmy Watkins, um, about body image and how um, that impacts uh, teenagers' mental health. And, um, and I know that it's just something that a lot of girls really struggle with. And I think actually women do too. It's not I mean, isolated from to the teenagers. the beginning of time. I know. From the beginning of time. I know. I mean, this isn't new. It is not new. It is always, you know, cause I'm older than most people in the room. So I've always been on a diet. There's always been a thing. I don't like the way I look in this. This says, am I fat? It's there's, it's always been. Always been. Right. And so we have, I think more recently, I think we've been thinking, is that really true? You know, I think like people have just been questioning, like, and what, like, is, are these messages that we've been sent so long, are they actually true? And then, and then what impact does that have on mental health, like our mental health or kids' mental health? And so I'm just glad that we're really kind of thinking about body image and and that kind of stuff. And I know that teenagers are really susceptible to even what more they, so. Yeah, what even they see on social so. me- yeah. social media because yeah. by nature they're trying to like fit in with their peers. And if all of your peers are a certain size and shape and look a certain way, but maybe genetically your body doesn't look like that, they can put a ton and ton and ton of pressure yeah. on yeah. making their body you know, look, look like something it shouldn't and go to some pretty um, unhealthy means in order to do that. Right. Right. So we're really, though, excited about this topic. And we're really excited to have one of the leading experts in eating disorders in Texas with us here today. Dr. Stephanie Setliff is a psychiatrist and the regional director of the Eating Recovery Center in Dallas. She's board certified in psychiatry and neurology, specializing in eating disorder treatments for over 20 years. Welcome to Raising Joy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's dive right in about the different types of eating disorders, because you can say eating disorder, but there's a whole lot that goes into that. Talk to us about that. Okay. You're right. There are a lot of different eating disorders that parents, you know, probably worry about and need to be aware of. The one that is the most compelling, I think, sometimes in the media and in 
you know, when people are talking about them and what they're scared of the most is anorexia nervosa, mm -hmm. because anorexia is characterized by um, pretty an unhealthy weight loss um, that results in malnutrition. Every organ system in their body is affected. Um, it is not really people say, oh, it's a drive to be thin, but I would argue it's a drive to be thinner because when they, they go by thin, like the Orient Express, right? And the drive is to be thinner is what kills them. And, you know, eating disorders have the second highest mortality of any psychiatric illness. Um, just we used to be the first and then the opiate crisis kicked us off yeah. that throne, yeah. um, which is a tragedy in and of itself. And then so one person an hour roughly dies directly as a result of their eating disorders. So it's worth wow. It's worth families knowing about it. It's mm -hmm. super cool that you guys are doing this. Uh, it's not the most eating disorders aren't the most common mm -hmm. mental illness. Right. But the mortality is so high that it's good for them parents to know about it and to also pediatricians to know about it and to catch it early. Because, um, you know, if you think about people who are 12 and they've had their eating disorder for two years, that's a significant part of their life to internalize wow. and integrate right. that right. sort of maladaptive behavior. So anorexia is the one that we see the most of. And I'll say, you know, at eating recovery centers prior to the pandemic, we didn't have a ton of six of the six, seven, eights, and we still don't have a lot of six and sevens, but we do have eight year olds and nine year olds, a lot of 10 year olds coming in with anorexia nervosa. And it's pretty tragic. We, I'm going to call them the littles, you know, the under 12 and unders, but we have a lot of them coming in. So that's the, not the most common eating disorder, but it's the one you hear about the most. And then right. bulimia nervosa yeah. is also something that, we usually saw in older, like mid-age adolescents and older, mm -hmm. we really didn't see that in uh, youngers and the littles. We definitely used to not see purging in the littles, but we see purging right now, getting rid of their food by vomiting in 11-year-olds all the time, 10-year-olds. Mm. So that is a, bulimia nervosa is a little bit harder because the kids look normal weight, really, um, and they don't have... The physical characteristics that make it easier for you to notice, for you to notice right? Mm -hmm. the, the, what you're most likely to notice is a behavior, a behavior of eating food quickly, maybe, and then going to the bathroom to get rid of it. Um, you know, those kinds of things. And there may be an exercise component in it, too. Mm. Um, and they may be using laxatives and diet pills and other things to get rid of what they call, you know, the food that they in, just put in. They mm -hmm. want to feel empty. Um, and they really are worshiping the thin ideal that people with anorexia have, it's just very difficult to live and exist on 200 to 400 calories a day for days, weeks, months, years, which is what our patient population is able to do. Mm. So those are the two that we hear about the most. The one that you don't hear about very often, but it's the most common is binge eating disorder. Binge eating disorder is characterized by eating a lot of food and an abnormal amount of food. Um, long after you're satiated and satisfied um, in a circumscribed amount of time. We think that you know, there's about 1 million people in the United States with anorexia, 3 million with bulimia nervosa, and somewhere between 20 and 24 million with binge eating disorder. The problem with binge eating disorder is people don't know they have it. So I think what happens is they're in a trap of, um, you know, think about 
what we do in a westernized, industrialized culture. We worship the thin ideal. Mm-hmm. We worship kind of a a, a band of, a, you know, the bandwidth of what's beautiful is about the size of a pencil. Mm-hmm. And people strive to achieve that. Adults strive to achieve it. Mm-hmm. So imagine when you're a child, you know, mm-hmm. you, you just don't know. Your brain is, you know, chronologically uh, developmentally, it just you, you are who you are. You can't really think in terms of abstract or use much of a wise mind um, at that moment, right? So, if you're a binger, though, you once a week for three months, you meet criteria for it. And what is kind of sad about that is that there's really great medicine to treat depression. Most people who binge eat are depressed. There's great medicine for them. There's great medicine for their obsessions about food and their compulsions. Mm -hmm. And there's a really good therapy for them. And they're highly motivated once they find out what they have. They, they, They think it's just willpower. They think there's something defective in them. They think that they're not enough and they... They are never going to be able to achieve whatever it is, X, Y, Z, that that is the thin ideal mm-hmm. that most Western cultures value and worship, mm-hmm. right? There's just one other eating disorder that does kind of matter and people don't know. I don't think that there's treatment for it either. It's called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, mm-hmm. ARFID, and it's characterized by a lot of their problems are the same as somebody with anorexia. They can become very malnourished, very thin, mm-hmm. um, and have to be hospitalized. It, the difference is that they do not have any any body image concerns. The, food is plentiful, mm-hmm. just like with anorexia, um, and they don't have anything that that culturally or religiously sanctions some sort of restriction of their food. It's literally something. Uh, that happens where it becomes like a taste or a texture mm. um, or a certain there will be maybe four or five foods that they'll they eat. And sometimes it's enough to keep them. Uh, they have ARFID, but they can stay their normal body weight and they can stay on their growth curve and everything goes fine. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, it's common for them to develop a fear of vomiting. And if they develop a fear of vomiting, Oof. then they stop eating the few foods that they eat. And go on to really require hospitalization and being refed. Nutritional rehabilitation um, is what we call it. Or um, So it, restoring weight. Uh, so those are the, I would say, the four most common. There are a couple of other things, but, you know, we could be here all day talking about all that. <laughs> what, how, when should a, like what, I guess what should kind of trigger a parent to be more mindful about their kids like eating habits like what kind of things should parents look out for well i think what a couple of things i think that parents i mean i always kind of say this with a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek i'm kind of teasing and kind of not sometimes i think parents go work so hard at talking to their children about being healthy and exercising and eating the right foods and um, so they do a good job sometimes with that they don't realize, though, kids are also looking at what they're doing, right? And they also are listening to them in ways when when parents think their kids aren't listening, their kids are definitely listening, mm-hmm. right? Have you noticed? And watching. Yeah, right. I mean, my daughter can hear me say a curse word literally from the other side of the house. <laughs> but I can, and I can say to her, pick up your shoes when I'm right next to her and she's as deaf as a post, right? So to that same end... 
uh, you know, people are driving their kids around all day in their car talking about they're getting, you know, they're going to get this done and that done and they're going to get back in their swimsuit and they're going on this new diet and they're going to mm-hmm. go on this new fad and they're mm-hmm. going to stop doing this and they're going to start doing that. And they're going to go to Pilates and high interval intense, uh, high intensity inter- interval training, mm-hmm. um, which I've never done, but I sounds like it's really great. Um, <laughs> but, and intense. Uh, yeah. yeah, and intense. Uh, and so we send messages sometimes without realizing that we're not, we don't think we're enough without really ever saying, hey, you know, honey, I'm not enough. Like, yeah. and we don't really mean it like that. But the difference is, as you know, and you, you know from experience, like, our prefrontal cortex only comes online really at about 24, 25. So when you're 10, 11 years old, yeah. you're a concrete thinker. You yeah. you really, what is said is what is. Yeah. So it's either good or it's not. And if mom is feels badly when she's not gained, you know, mm-hmm. when she's gaining weight and she mm-hmm. feels good when she's losing weight, then gaining weight is bad and losing weight is good. good. Mm-hmm. So, and that's before you ever get mm-hmm. to like falling off the growth curves or their growth charts and anything like that. So. Absolutely. I I could not agree with you more that and I honestly think that the way that we even think about ourselves is internalized by our kids because they pick up on those messages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whenever kids are small, we remember this growing up, right? You thought that everyone did things in their house the way that you do things. Mm -hmm. And then when you go to spend the night at someone else's house, you realize, oh, wait, that's not the, the case. So if you grow up in a house where mom is always like standing in front of a mirror and be like, God, I wish my thighs weren't so big or like whatever it is, then you just think that that's what you do. Like before you leave the house, you go and you say something negative about yourself. And, you know, I I think kids really internalize those messages and it's, it's not good. And it can lead to like deadly consequences if they have an eating disorder. You know, and, and we were, I was making the comment from the beginning of time, we have always had something because as you were talking, I'm thinking about my own mother God rest her soul. But she was always on a diet. I don't remember my mother never being on a diet. And she was always trying to get smaller, smaller, smaller. And it was always, but I never, you know, had that until I was about 12. And then I started thinking about it. And now Mm -hmm. I need to. So she was never enough. I wasn't enough. It just, it just perpetuates. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about anorexia nervosa, I remember the first person I really knew about that was Karen Carpenter back Mm -hmm. in the 70s. I mean, that was a big deal when she passed away Mm -hmm. um, because that was the really the first time I had ever heard of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, she does look bad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you know, she did. And, and in fact, when she passed away, she wasn't nearly as thin as she had really been, been at one time. Yeah. But what had happened was she was drinking Epicac. Oh no. And it had that toxic cardiac metabolite. Um, so a lot of Epicac, empty Epicac bottles were found um, in her room after she passed away. Mm. But she, I think had anorexia bench purge subtype. Right. And Oof. she, she had so much pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was the temperament to get it right mm-hmm. and have an eating disorder. She was perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. She was high achieving. She was um, an internalizer. She was a pleaser. I don't know a ton about her life, but I know that Richard, her brother, mm-hmm. was a perfectionistic on steroids. And I know that they would go over and over and over and practice and practice and practice and right. practice. Right. right. When really to our ears, the first time she ever sang the song, it was, it was gorgeous. gorgeous. Right. It was beautiful. And he would mix. Uh, I know that he would mix sometimes up to 100 different 
voices. You know how you can, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. good at that kind of thing, but you can mix the song, this, have her sing it a bunch of different times. And then somehow then there's a more depth and yeah. beauty Overlay. in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think she was under a lot of pressure and I think she also put herself under a lot of pressure. Yeah. And when she developed her eating disorder, nobody really knew what they to didn't do with back that. in those days. No, they didn't know what to do. And I bet she didn't know what to do. No. Right. She, she probably didn't know what to do. She just was obsessed with what she had to do in terms of her performing. And, um, you know, sometimes people develop an anorexia just because they're so anxious and they're so high mm-hmm. achieving. Mm-hmm. And if you, and if, if you're anxious in that that kind of temperament, yeah. sometimes eating when you feel upset or worried feels badly and it causes pain. So then if they don't eat that, you don't have the, the pain. pain. Then if they like, oh, my gosh, somebody says, oh, my gosh, you haven't eaten all day. They try to eat and then it hurts. <sighs> so they decide, oh, I can't eat. I can't eat today. I just can't eat. And ultimately not eating begets not eating. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can and eating disorders then sneak up on those people. Yes. They don't really they didn't plan to lose weight or get Mm -hmm. healthier or chase a thin ideal. The two gateway behaviors for developing an eating disorder are dieting and exercise. But your brain experiences not eating because you're anxious in a a dieting way. Do you see what I mean? You're restricting food. Mm -hmm. And when you're restricting food, you start that process of developing the brain disease i've always thought it's kind of interesting that your brain is only three pounds and it takes 20 percent of all of your daily nutritional needs yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so it's a um it doesn't take much for people to flip over into the brain disease of anorexia even though all they really were in they were in a situation a high stress situation they couldn't eat without pain then Mm -hmm. when they ultimately finally decide to try to eat they can't eat and then it just begets not eating right so what what are sort of the um, like like medical effects like long term and short term mm-hmm. of having an eating disorder mm-hmm. and I, I know it varies between what kind of eating disorder you have mm-hmm. but yeah what what kind of things should should we be concerned about Well I mean the short version is that eating disorders affect every organ system in your body mm-hmm. so we could just finish the question with that <laughs> and move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then the other things, um, the little bit longer answer is that um, GI tracts are, you know, your your GI system is definitely sabotaged with eating disorders. If you don't use it, you lose mm-hmm, it, right? Sure. So there really is something called delayed gastric emptying. Uh, we call it gastroparesis, but where the people lose the ability, the, that peristalsis that moves food through your stomach Mm -hmm. to the small intestine that does slow down Mm. so uh, where that's important is that when they try start to try to refeed they get very full very quickly we have we have medicine we help them with that it tends to go away at four to six weeks then there are you know things with your small intestine and your large intestine that can result in constipation diarrhea and then that feeling of bloating and fullness so we spend a lot of time on gi issues Mm -hmm. if you will Mm -hmm. Um, and then cardiac problems do exist 30 percent of people with eating disorders especially anorexia they'll develop something called um, uh, pericardial effusion which is a fluid buildup around their heart and that is um, reversible when they refeed 30 percent develops something called mitral valve prolapse also reversible um, I didn't know those stats were that high. 
I mean, mm-hmm. I know that that's what we always were watching out for, but I didn't know it was 30 mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, you know, they they also develop something called sinus bradycardia where their heart beats slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the issues around that is that usually these a lot of this, uh, you know, people with athletic um, high achieving athletics also are, you know, they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. High achieving people and the uh, athletic piece. So. Um, it's easy for the 50 beats per minute to be explained away mm. by um, the fact that they're athletic. But the fact of the matter is, is that anorexia and an athletic person uh, and are there, it's uh, the opposite of what happens. If you think about once again, back high intensity interval training, mm-hmm. somehow I've said it twice. Like I'm really going to go do it, which I'm not, I don't think, but in that it's if you people that do will tell you that their blood pressure goes up right away, but it's really hard to get their heart rate up to that maximum number so they can mercifully start coming back down again. Mm-hmm. It, right. So they fight and fight and fight to get up to that max number. And so they have a kind of a giant, beefy, strong heart. But in contrast with anorexia, their blood pressure is low, kind of low in a way that people that don't understand them think dangerously low. But it's like 80 over 50 a lot of the time. And they've been walking around for years like that. Nothing really makes it go up. And their heart rate, though, might be 50 when they're sitting in their bed watching mm-hmm. a show mm-hmm. and then they go to brush their teeth and it goes up to like 200. I'm oh being a, a little yeah. bit silly, but yeah. not much. Yeah. So their heart rate flies up. So it's the opposite, really. It's not the same mm-hmm. 50 beats per minute with an athlete and 50 beats per minute with a person with anorexia. But because we don't really usually get an X-ray of their heart, nobody really knows that. Right. Mm-hmm. But that is a that would be a good way to like in a pediatrician's office if you're like, hmm, I wonder, you know, could you do like orthostatic vital signs where you take it, yeah. you know, like in that maybe Correct. able to kind of tell you. Oh yeah, they're gonna have a huge tilt, as yeah. we call it, right? And sure. orthostatics. But so their heart rate will have a, a big difference when they're laying down to when they're sitting and then a big difference to when they're standing. Right. So a few other things that are just interesting is that they do develop kind of a brain fog. We mm-hmm. do have data just because I think partly because of what we just talked about, mm-hmm. that three pounds and, and 20 percent of all your energy needs to have your brain be thinking and functioning at maximally. Um, we have functional MRI studies that of uh, older adolescent, young adult women that show a decrease in the white matter and gray matter of their brains. You can see it as clear as day, an increase in the lateral ventricles. You can see it as clear as day. And then when they weight restore, you see them go back to normal, which is the really positive piece of it, getting me to the point that everything that happens physically, even if it's every organ system in their body, Willie will recover with weight restoration when it's anorexia, except for bone density. Bone density is not as easy to To treat and to get back. And the answer is that most of your, the the big, big time um, period when you lay down a lot of your bone is the second half of the second decade of life from 15 to 20. Mm. You do lay down some in your early 30s and you do lay down some before that. But that is a key time for people to develop eating disorders, right? 85, 90% of eating disorders develop between the ages of 12 and 25. Mm. So that 15 to 20 is common um, for people to develop their eating disorder. And when their bone density is affected. Mm-hmm. It is not a hundred percent 
that we can get that back. The treatment of choice is to restore them back to their weight and have them stay there. Uh, we do have some drugs for bone density problems, but the issue with it is that they are really developed for postmenopausal women oh. to lay down in bone, not oh. for women of childbearing age to wow. lay down in bone. Okay. So we don't know how long it'll sit there. Yeah. And, and, and so, and then it's got other problems. Some of it isn't paid for by insurance. One of them can cause necrosis, necrosis of your jaw. Like if you don't have enough problems, now you've got a jaw bone that's not, you know, that's dying. It's not perfect. <laughs> let me just wow. say. Wow. So that's a very controversial issue in my world because there's for as many people that think at a 21 year old with osteoporosis should not be given the medicine and should be just allowed to weight restore and keep their weight there's just as many people that say that's absolutely absurd they need to be treated with the medicine so they don't get shorter by the time right. they're 30 et cetera, right. et cetera. So, yeah. you talk about high achievers and those people tend to kind of be in there and some who are athletic are there certain athletic types sports yes that you are looking at that could cause well couldn't cause it but right. might be well, more prevalent yeah they're vulnerable yes. right yes so of course the things that you think about ballet okay. you know dance when you stand and look in a full-length mirror the all day when you're dancing you know how mm -hmm. people are especially in the state of texas you know kids will start dancing when they're three mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um i won't go into all that uh, um i will say that it's hard and it's especially hard, you know, in puberty, when they hit puberty, these kids, especially these little girls, they develop, they're going to gain 30 to 40 pounds in about four years, right? To get to the other from 10 to 14, usually right. to get to the other side of puberty. We don't do a great job of talking to kids about that. Right. So what they experience as they start, you know, they develop their breast buds. Girls are that that's kind of like a little bit horrifying for them, especially if they had no idea that was coming. Right. <laughs> and then they start gaining weight in their hips, tummy, thighs, bottom. Right. right. Um, they don't really get that either because they think they're eating about the same thing. So that means estrogen is swirling in their brain. Mm -hmm. We know that estrogen does affect it is powerful. Right. In in people developing eating disorders, um, even though, yes, 25% of eating disorders are in boys and men, but 75% are okay. in girls and women. And yeah. we really think estrogen, which we have an estrogen receptor at every cell in our body. We think estrogen is plays a big role in it. We're not exactly sure how. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, when they develop, when puberty comes and then they're looking in the mirror at the girls who aren't in puberty yet do you know what i mean it's yeah. just really super yeah. hard for them um but yeah so boys and wrestling um that's a huge issue for them and 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 cross-country running mm -hmm. cross-country running keeps me in business uh, really yes the cross-country runners mm -hmm. are just notorious for developing so what happens is in their brains you know the more you run kind of the less you eat and the more the less you eat and the more you run that all works until they get nationally ranked and then their times start falling that's when i meet them is when their times time start, start falling, falling. Mm -hmm. because it's you know they've chipped over into this dangerous place that they're not as good as they were and their times are getting longer um but the wrestlers the problem with that is that so they they're trying to eat lean you know they eat mm -hmm. a lot of protein they don't want a lot of body fat and then they start cutting for their competitions but they to cut they stop drinking water 
Well, protein on kidneys without water causes kidneys to not work. Uh, so wow. we get boys from the intensive care unit who have developed kind of an eating disorder, a fear of eating and a fear of drinking mm. uh, all the while being um, on these wrestling teams. And I'm not saying that we don't get kids from tennis. We do basketball players. We do football players. We do volleyball players. We do gymnast. Oh, gymnast. Yes. Oh, dear Lord. Yes. Uh huh. Gymnasts we do. And, you know, when we really struggle, when when they struggle, it seems like is as they're ending their career, mm -hmm. their career ends at 18. Mm. So they've been this tiny little person. They've kind of put off puberty, but with the way that they eat, the way that they're coached to eat, I'll mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that is like a whole it's a little bit of a hot spot for me. I, I can't stand it that these kids get coached to eat in a way that delays their body, their growth and their mm -hmm. body development. Right. Um, and when you stunt growth, I mean, you're not going to get that. You you can you can skip a growth spurt, but you can't skip all of them. You know what I right, mean? Like, right. And then expect it to come out, come back. So, right. um, yeah. So they um, and so they get kind of an identity crisis of who am I? I've always been the little one. I've always been the flyer on the cheerleading team. I've always been this elite gymnast. And now I'm an 18 year old girl with um, no real identity. Right. Wow. I, I think that's. That's really important for parents when they start thinking about, okay, I want to put my little girl in dance at three or when they're going to the gym and, and they want them to become gymnast. And how cute is that? I, I think it is something that we ought to be considering and oh. the thought what could happen. Yeah. And it's not just you cute flying through the air or, you know, looking so cute in the tutu, but it's a little more to it than that and be and not be as, oh, honey, you have to be perfect at this. You yes, have no. to do well at this. If you're not doing what, you know, you got to be careful about that. I agree. I agree. I think, and I think the, the only way the child knows how important it is, is, or how important it isn't, mm -hmm. is the adult's attitude about it, mm -hmm. right? If the adult spends eight hours getting little Susie Sunshine's hair and makeup done, for a four minute dance recital. Yes. If you can't figure out that that's important, I don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right, right. And it's important to somebody. Yeah. It's probably not the four year old or the three year old, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Go I'll ahead. say, I, I definitely did consider that. Um, but like with what activity, I let my girls pick whatever activity they want to do, sure. but I go in with the awareness that, okay, you know, like you're going to be standing in front of a mirror for three hours and, and next to all these other girls. And mm -hmm. so I think just with my experience, I, you know, I'm just a little mindful yeah. of like, what, what messages, and, and I'm also most importantly, where they go, like who their dance teacher is, right. what is sort of the ethos, like what is the um, kind of like philosophy of the, right. of the gym, of the dance studio is like more right. important to me than if they go to any sort of competition. Like 100%. My daughter is not going to go. I mean, maybe she will. I don't know. But the expectation are, is right. that she, she won't. Well, and, and that's perfect. Like, I don't, I don't want her to be a professional dancer, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. okay. Part of me does because I dance <laughs> forever, but um, so a tiny, funny. a tiny part, you know, but yeah. I mean, but really, I just want her to be happy and I want yeah. her to be confident and yes. I want her to like, just have something that brings her joy. Like that is all I want. Like, I don't care about anything else. So, but yeah, no, I, I let them pick what they want, but I go in with eyes wide open about like what could happen down the line. Right. I, I just I don't know that that really um, 
is so scary to me sometimes when we put those expectations on the children because we're expecting them to buy me the house, you know, in 10 years because now you've become Simone Biles or, you know, I need you to be Susie Sunshine and dancing for <laughs> at the New York Metropolitan Opera, whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we I want you to be good at it. I want you to be good at it and I want you to have fun with it. Yes. That's but it. I don't want you to feel the pressure. Not at all. Like that's my, me. Like I, I, it's my responsibility to buy yeah. my house or yes, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly, or to like let them take out student loans, like I did, and um, pay for college or you know whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, we'll do it. I yeah. agree. I'll just say, can I say one thing about Go that? For it. That is like a little bit also of like a mm, I just can't stand it. I think it's just interesting to me that people have children and they are their most precious loved people. Really, they would mm-hmm. saw an arm off for mm-hmm. them, and yet when they're five or six and they're going to be nationally maybe internationally ranked something gymnast skater whatever they're willing to send them and i'm not trying to be judgy i'm just saying right they they're willing to pack them up and send them to europe for a month with uh, somebody they don't know very well and they and who knows who is gonna be there who's gonna be there to tuck them in let's just say who's gonna be there but who's gonna be there when they're showering who's gonna be there to take care of them and keep Mm -hmm. them safe right it's a it's I don't quite understand it. I I don't. I, I don't. I, I, I bet the parents think that they're doing the best for their kid. Like I think the, so. their, their kid is like And their kid wants to go. They want to go. They're excelling. And maybe they just aren't cognizant of like all of the other parts of it. But I think because of our jobs, we see the we are. underbelly mm-hmm. of everything. And so yeah. I, I totally agree. There's zero percent chance I would send my kiddo um for a month to Europe this no summer. Way. No to way. be in all kind of national, international competitions. No, no way. Not without me. I mean, I would go with Correct. her, but, yeah. but not without. Yeah. Well, I know during the pandemic, we saw a dramatic increase in anxiety and depression and record numbers of suicide attempts in our patients. Um, did you guys notice any changes in trends for eating disorders? Absolutely. We went from, um, well, nationally, eating disorder treatment centers jumped 80% in their phone volume. Uh, when the pandemic hit, I mean, that was a, it was a stat in USA Today. We knew because our phone calls per week tripled. And the part that was frustrating and hard for us was that people were scared. You know, the pandemic, the whole thing, when it first came out, no vaccinations. So they would try to, adults would try to stay home as long as possible. So they would come in sicker Mm -hmm. and then parents would understandably bring their children when they were sicker. They didn't want to bring their child to the hospital. Now, what I loved about Eating Recovery Center is that we immediately went into, you know, we have such brilliant medical doctors in our company, and uh, we just immediately went into learning every single thing that we knew about um, the the virus and how to keep everybody safe, how to keep hospitals safe. We shut down all visiting March 28, 2020. Mm-hmm. It was a day that will live in my brain mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. because like, now we're telling parents of these little kids that you are not going to ever be able to come here and visit in person. And I don't know when you're going to be able to, but you cannot come here. And so we had a lot of protocols in place. But it was really, really hard for us, especially like child psychiatrists. We're Mm -hmm. family systems people. We know Mm -hmm. development inside and out. We know that a 10-year-old not being able to be hugged by their mom was like, it was horrifying. Honestly, it was horrifying. Right. So we, but yes, it was an explosion. Uh, We had a huge waiting list. Sometimes we'd have, I mean, we had 60 kids on a wait list one time, just in one location. And Eating Recovery Center, we have 
what, 36 locations in nine states, but not all beds, but still, I mean, right. for us, the pressure of right to turn over the beds and um, mm -mm. it was something else. Right. Wow. We, we cannot let you walk away without talking about social media. Okay. And the effects Instagram. Yeah. One word. Yeah. Isn't that something? I mean, so social media, before social media, we could, and even I think my sons, when they were little, the only time they really saw a lot of people they didn't know kind of was on magazine covers when we were going through the <laughs> checkout line. <Yeah. laughs> and when they were five and six, my boys yeah. would say, mommy, those women need to put some clothes on. Because <laughs> it was always people, women in these yeah. scanty little outfits, yeah. they need to put clothes on. And we're in Target, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But, so, um, so we even so like, you know, back then, I don't think they had ever seen a photo in a publication that wasn't airbrushed by mm -hmm. then photoshopped right right so now not only are is everything photoshopped but on any given moment any of us and especially the children because they're it's summer school is my friend because it's so structured and it keeps them busy right but um now they can go and compare themselves to thousands of people they don't know anytime they want to mm. and the littles are looking at something that isn't real at all. They don't know it. And even the, the adolescents, I think the the middle adolescents, even mm -hmm. like the 17, 18, I'm not sure they understand that what they're looking at is not real. Not. It is not real. There's all kind of contortions going on to make that woman look like that with that shape and her belly so flat and she's being photoshopped. And little do they know that one second after the the photo was clipped. She mm -hmm. fell off the balcony mm -hmm. and three floors down into the sand. You know yeah. what I mean? They yeah. don't know. Yeah. Right. They just don't think like that. So whether they know it or not, they are comparing and it's, yes. it's infinite, right? You, there's no end to it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, um, not to sound so old school, but I feel like parents have a responsibility to continue to parent in a way that maybe they didn't need to 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. You've got to help kids self-regulate. They, mm -hmm. they, they do not, their brains are not mature. Their, their prefrontal cortex is not online. It's hard for us to get off of it when yeah. we mm -hmm. know what's happening and okay. we are okay. online. Mm -hmm. And so when they, they have to be helped. And if we don't set limits and we just say, well, she's so smart, she's She'll got such a out. good head on mm -hmm. her shoulders. Mm -hmm. No, it makes them so vulnerable mm -hmm. to just not knowing what to do with it. At some point, they just are not enough by, right. by, by their standards. I don't care what how healthy they are. Right. So I, I think there's something to be said for monitoring that and setting limits, um, not because your kid's a bad kid, but because they are, they're a kid brain. They're yes. an adolescent brain. Yeah. Like they, there, there are reasons that we don't let kids gamble. That's right. right. That's you know? exactly right. Because, well, one, they don't have any money, but two, <laughs> right. because they like, those things are made to be addicting. Well, guess what? So, so is social, social media. media. So it's just really TikTok obsessed. I, I, you know? I, I, I am. I'm so sorry. No, it's uh, I'm it's telling you. Yeah. People, people love it. And I get it. I mean, I, I like to go look at stories that make me feel good because yes. um, I'm so horrified by what's happening Ugh. in the world sometimes. And mm -hmm. I hate to even say that, but I, mm -hmm. it's hard for me. I'm so affected by it. If I stay on it, you know, 100%. So even that though, I can look at that for an hour. 
And yes. I'm like, what are you yeah. doing? What yeah. am I doing? Yes. And then and then you're like, oh my God, I have to wake up at six o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. What happened? It, like, yes. yes. Don't be me. Exactly. Don't do that. <laughs> do as I say. Well, oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. All of my teenage patients were like, and you talked to me for 20 minutes about sleep hygiene today, ma'am. Can you put it in practice oh, for yourself? Oh my gosh. Right. Sleep hygiene is so important. And in patients with eating disorders, I mean, just in teenagers in general, they don't understand it's mm-hmm. the only time their brain can rest and repair. They don't know that. They don't care. No. They just want to stay up. And sometimes parents will say, well, I, I know she's going to stay up and finish her homework and then she's going to go to sleep. But they don't understand. These kids are up on social media, all kinds of stuff <laughs> until mm-hmm. one, two in the morning, mm-hmm. looking at who knows what, doing who knows what. Right. Um, connecting with who knows connecting what. Connecting yeah. with who yeah. knows yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about partial hospitalization treatment. Okay. And what that means and what that looks like. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll start with that. Um, there are different levels of care. Partial hospital is a level of care where it's a, it is a day program, but for us, it's a pretty intense day program. Mm-hmm. It's seven days a week Ooh. and it's about 10 hours a day. Um, and if you come, you do come out of your life, even though you are at home from about, I don't know, 630 to 10 at night. Um, but what makes sense to us is if somebody has an eating disorder, to do it five days a week, Monday through Friday, that it's doesn't make any right. sense. Yeah. How in the world or what do we think they're going to do from Friday <laughs> at five mm-hmm. until Monday at nine? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What okay. are they going to engage in recovery? I don't know. Probably not, Mm-mm. you know. Yeah. And so we we use that a lot to keep them out of beds if, if people will possibly mm-hmm. refer right. in time because we can restore some weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can interrupt behaviors. Mm-hmm. We really can. We can't do it all. There is a point where restoring a lot of weight in partial hospital doesn't make any sense. But in kind of a four to six week period, we can get a lot done. You don't have to solve all the problems of the world. You just have to get enough of it unstuck, enough problems sort of pointed in the right direction and then refer out to an outpatient team that will be able to take care of them and keep working Um, We step people down from the partial hospital program to something called intensive outpatient. So it's three hours a day, um, three days a week, three hours a day, three days a week. And we, I kind of think of that as a a platform that's roughly 10 hours a week in the evening, the kids hardest times a lot of the time. And then they still are seeing their outpatient therapist, their outpatient dietitian, their outpatient psychiatrist, but it sure does bridge that huge step down from partial hospital but the time you leave partial hospital you're off on the weekend and it's 35 hours a week maybe monday through friday but if you don't have the intensive outpatient step down Mm -hmm. you step down from 35 to 2 right and that is just too big of a step down for our people our people have to eat six times a day seven days a week okay 42 times a week and if you think you're going to do that easily without the right Mm -hmm. support and planning i mean it's just never going to happen you'll just be right back where you started right back where you started so there's a it's a group-based treatment but there's a lot of family therapy for kids it's uh, twice a week family therapy and once a week individual therapy and then having and then a lot of group a lot of experience of experiential kind of treatment art and you know music and Mm -hmm. um, pet therapy pet therapy is a little bit up in the air because trying to get the dogs right now is like trying to get a visit with the Pope. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you want to have another career and work way less in your life, just 
get some pets yeah, and go yeah. through the therapy process so yeah. that you can now have therapy dogs, yeah. you'll be set. Well, um, so, 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 I mean, I, you know, I think partial hospital has a real place Me too. for people. And the thing that is a little bit frustrating for us is that um, people just wind up, well, no, I'm going to wait and see. I, I, we're, I'm going to wait and see. So then they wind up having to come into inpatient and residential mm-hmm. instead of slotting into that partial hospital mm-hmm. and having this done in four to six weeks. And then after residential or inpatient, then they step down to PHP. They step down to PHP anyway. So mm-hmm. let's just avoid the residential yeah. inpatient all of those effects it has on your health, your mental health, like just, just do agree, PhD. agree, agree. And I'll just say one thing about that. I feel like though sometimes people it's so hard, you know, my patient population, they're busy doing a lot of really yes. cool things. Mm-hmm. So they're not, mm-hmm. they're, they're really in AP classes. They really are volunteering at churches and schools. They really are, mm-hmm. you know, playing three instruments. So to pull them out of that, yes. sometimes though they're doing so many great things, they just can't keep doing it. Yeah. You know, it's too much. There's not enough. I think I go back to parents helping kids regulate. Mm-hmm. Just because you are great at three instruments doesn't mean you should be playing three instruments. It may not be real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I know this kind of care can be so expensive, um, even for a fully insured family. So what happens whenever people can't afford this level of care and what kind of options are available for them? Well, we overwhelmingly, at Eating Recovery Center, I can say that we, t- uh, commercial insurance is how people pay for things, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, I mean, maybe a 1% of people that are paying out of pocket. So we work with all major insurance carriers. And I would say with some that aren't major to sure. try to figure it out, do mm-hmm. single case agreements and yeah. things like that. When people have no insurance, um, it's a big deal. Yes. I, I'm not going to say it's easy. Uh, we have to patch things together. Sometimes I have to make phone calls mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, call in some favors and mm-hmm. ask people to do some charity work. And because um, I know that I used to, you know, we all used to do stuff like that. Sure. Um, but what we want to do, we also can advocate for people about, you know, how can they, is there any way that they can, you know, get an insurance plan before the windows open is there we're yes. we're very active in that way too because when you have no insurance you you have to get signed up on something mm-hmm. um and even adults who wind up um on you know disability and they have um medicare that's still enough that's still something and right. we can get treatment for them um when they have that so right. it Nobody can afford to pay out of pocket for right. treatment, really. It, with it's just not possible, probably for any treatment, right? But right. Um, it's very expensive, and because it, it's so, it is so intense and it's so prolonged. Because recovering from right. an eating disorder takes how long? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, it's going to be at least a year if you can go a year with maintaining your weight and not engaging in behaviors you're really doing incredibly well. And if you can get to two years, you're, you could say that you're fully recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, people can fully recover. And what I think people don't understand is what that means. Maybe it, it, you're, you're living your rich full life. You're doing all the things that you've ever wanted to do. Now, does that mean if something happens, like uh, something happens to your child mm-hmm. or you uh, you yourself have something happen. I don't know. I'm just making this up like a miscarriage or a divorce or your own mother dies. Would you have the automatic thought of going back to a behavior? Like, uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
but your automatic thought, the way you know you're recovered is you're, you're shocked by the automatic thought, honestly, yeah. shocked by it. And then you immediately call somebody that you trust and say, I can't believe, I can't believe I just had this thought. I, I think I need to go back in therapy. I, I cannot believe I had this thought. Mm-hmm. So that's so different than right. engaging in the behavior. You immediately say it. You immediately go towards people for support. But that is still a recovered person. Right. So um, so it can be done. We have great success with kids. If kids will just if parents will just hang in there with us and stick with us and stick yeah. close. Right. Yeah. We, I can't help them if they're if they leave and go home and try to go back to the exact life that the kid was in before they came to treatment. The kid is going to come back again and we're not mad and we're not going to shame anybody. We're just going to say, Hey, we're so happy you're back. And we really want this one to be the last time let's work together. We want this to be the last time. Yeah. Yeah, That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Setliff, for joining us today. You're so welcome. You guys are the best. No, you are the best. Like, I, this is just great. I, and if you want to learn more about Dr. Setliff's uh, work and the resources available here in North Texas, please, please visit eatingrecoverycenter.com. And as always, we welcome your support of the Raising Joy podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help us keep these conversations going. And until next time, Just breathe. Open up. You You matter. matter.